And if you have a Bible, could you turn with me to the book of Ezekiel? You might have to look in the table of contents to get there or just thumb your way through the Old Testament. It's after the Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You'll get there. But Ezekiel chapter 37, I want to read for us this morning this wonderful Pentecostal Old Testament text. Let's stand together. Can we, as I read it, Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14. And at the end, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. And for those of you who here, are here every week, I say this typically for those who aren't here every week. But at the end, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you can say thanks be to God. I just like everybody to be involved. I'm an includer. Have I mentioned that? Yes. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. And then he asked me, son of man, or as other translations say, mortal, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. <laughs> then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the messages he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. And he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. And they're saying, we've become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy that to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people. I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. And I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. And when this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you. And you will live again and return home to your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Hey, some of you knew that this text was in the Bible. And you're like, yeah, I've heard that before. That's a good one. And other people are like, 
that didn't know this was in the Bible, like, hey, I got to read this book more. I got I to gotta open these pages more often. That's an amazing story. That's crazy. That's beautiful. That's, that's awesome. I, as I thought and read through this story again this week, I thought about um, the preaching task. Not only that I have this morning, but I, I thought primarily about the preaching task that was assigned to Ezekiel. Did you, did you catch that? Did you catch that he was assigned a, a preaching task here in these verses? And I couldn't help but reflect upon some of the different contexts and congregations that I have been privileged to preach to and among in my pastoral ministry. Uh, I've had some wonderful opportunities to preach in some great churches, some amazing people of God. And right here in this room, I've gotten to preach. I, I did the math. I've preached about 900 sermons in this room. Some of you have heard a lot of those. I've heard them all. And I mean, that's a lot. So, you know, thank you. That's all I can say is, is, is thank you. But I remember the first sermon I preached, summer after my freshman year in college, doing an internship at a church as their youth, as their youth leader, and the pastor gave me that, that summer the assignment to preach two Sunday night sermons, just two Sunday evening sermons. It's back when we had Sunday evening church, and, uh, and not a whole lot of people came, so that's why I got the gig. And um, it went, you know, what's funny is that I remember the first one really well. I remember the text. I remember it going actually fairly well. People were engaged. I didn't completely make a fool out of myself. And the Lord, I think, was even lifted up in that moment. Uh, what's, what's funny, though, is I don't remember the second one at all. I think I said everything I knew in the first sermon. And then I was just like repeating myself probably in the second sermon. I, I got to preach at, uh, at, at chapel in Point Loma one time. That was really nerve-wracking to all my fellow students. Um, I got to preach one summer when I was in college up in Northern California, I, where I grew up. I got sent out to all the church, all the little, little churches where the pastors were going on vacation, and they, they didn't have anyone else to preach. So I went out, and I had like one sermon, you know. I just went out and preached at about eight different churches that summer. And, and interestingly, I think I was engaged at the time, and the sermon was from 1 John, and it was on love. And I remember someone telling my parents, yeah, it was pretty obvious that he's in love as he was preaching this sermon on love. I got to preach in a black church in San Diego one time, and I was the warm-up act, actually, for the main speaker. And uh, I, I, was, I, I did my very best, but I was ministered to so significantly by the main speaker that night. I was just glad I got invited to speak so I could hear him. I've gotten to speak in Spanish-speaking churches where my uh, sermon got translated. I got to speak in, preach in Ethiopia to a church full of Sudanese refugees where my sermon got translated. I, I actually love preaching sermons that get translated because you never actually know for sure if that person <laughs> is saying what you're saying. And sometimes you say something maybe wasn't that funny and everyone laughs and you're like, oh, all right, what did you add in there, you know? <laughs> or maybe if you're sort of dragging a little bit and 
they kind of pick it up for you. That's, that's good. It's like, hey, there's two of you. Let's figure this out. And if I say something good, then translate that. If it doesn't make sense, then say something that you think should be said at that point. I love this stuff. I preach at youth camps and men's retreats. I preach at rescue missions. I preach at funerals and weddings. I preach to small classrooms of fellow students and a video camera with people who were judging, I mean critiquing my sermon and a teacher who was literally grading me. I preached to big sanctuaries full of people who were doing the exact same thing. Maybe not literally grading me, but doing that. No matter how challenging it has been, no matter how much it may have seemed to be the case, though, I've never preached to a valley of dry bones. There have been a few times where I wondered, but not here, not here, not here, not here. Present company excluded. Never, never preached to a valley of dry bones. Never been told by the, by the Lord, prophesy to the valley of dry bones. It's probably good for a preacher to remember that no matter how challenging or unresponsive a congregation or a context may at first appear, no matter how slim the chances of a successful preaching mission might be, Ezekiel had it harder. <laughs> Can these bones become living people again, the Lord asks Ezekiel. Did you hear that? Can the, what do you think, Ezekiel? Can these bones become living people again, a valley filled with bones? It's, it's really, if you haven't heard this story before, and I had to go back and try to read it with fresh eyes because it's really a, it's, it's, it's gross. It's, it's gruesome. It's, you know, we, we sort of, maybe kind of put a veneer over the top of it, maybe those who's read it a long time. Yeah, it's the Valley of Dry Bones. It's just a symbol. Yeah, but, but as you begin to read it, it's, it's a gruesome vision. The valley filled, scattered everywhere, completely dried out. But I love this initial interaction between God and Ezekiel. Can these, can these bones become living people again? I love it because it really is the question. It really is the question that we face over and over from the Lord. Can, can these bones live again? Can the blind see? Can the lame walk? Can the poor really rejoice? Can, can we believe in the power of life to override the power of death? Can we have hope that there is a future for these bones? And as the Lord, I love it too, because as the Lord asked the question, you can sort of see and feel Ezekiel starting to get a little bit uncomfortable. It's kind of like, a, you know, maybe a kid in Sunday school where he knows the answer is something else, but he's just going to say Jesus anyway. It's like, can these bones be living people again? You can, so Ezekiel, it's in his head. He's like, no, no, they can't. They're dead, dry bones. But he knows it's God asking him the question, so it's like, I think the answer is something else. So I'm just going to say, only you know, Lord. What a cop-out. But what a perfect answer, actually. What a perfect answer. According to my lay of the land, God, according to what I see, no way. Ain't happening. Valley full of dead, dry bones. They can't live again. But 
I realize I'm dealing with someone and something that is far beyond who I am. And so all I can say is only you know for sure. And as if, as if God says, that'll do. That's a good answer. I'll take that. As the Lord shows in this vision, you sense Ezekiel responding with some lingering doubt, but maybe some glimmer of faith and hope. That God, that God would have the power to make life come again. Actually, history actually tells us that, that it was typical in this day. As gruesome as it is for conquering armies to simply leave their vanquished foe to die. And to rot where they had fallen. That this kind of scene that's pictured here in Ezekiel 37 would not have been unheard of to the first readers, to that context. We learn later on in the passage as we come down to verse 11 that this valley of dry bones represented the people of Israel. The people who because of their unfaithfulness to the covenant they had made with the Lord had been taken from their homeland, stripped of their religious symbols and practices, removed from all that they had known and all that God had given to them because of their unfaithfulness, taken off into Babylonian exile. These bones of this scene are not literal soldiers who have been left to rot. They're symbolically the captives of Israel who had lived, who were alive at least in a physical sense, but who had been cut off from their history cut off from their promises of God, cut off from hope. They were those whose faith, and maybe this is some of us here even this morning, had dried up a long time ago, just like the bones in the vision. We know what it is to live in a place where there's great discouragement, where there's despair, where there's death, the global community that we're a part of knows this as we hear reports of war and violence, as we hear reports of persecution and political corruption and military force, when we hear news of poverty and famine and disease and senseless suffering and death. We feel this today along with those churches, like I mentioned, in Cuba. It seems so far away and yet is just so close to us this morning, brothers and sisters who mourn the loss of their pastors and their spouses today. We know what it is to feel this as a nation. Somebody told me yesterday that in the 93 days between the last school shooting in Florida and this one in Texas this week, there have actually been eight other school shootings. Maybe some of you heard those statistics within that interim time with not as much loss of life. We read of the opioid epidemic. We know people, we are people who battle addictions. We're a nation of great pain and isolation. We know this in our community. Somebody was talking to me this week about sort of a sense of lingering PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder that maybe many of us are still feeling or kind of living under, maybe unknowingly from the fires and the floods, the toll that's taken its 
effect on us. We know pain and brokenness. We know despair and discouragement. We know dryness in our homes, in the homes of others that we know where there's been violence, where there's been abuse, where there's been brokenness and pain, where marriages have not survived, where difficulty has been faced. And sadly, sadly, we know this despair and discouragement even in the church. We know it even where we sit now, where we have failed to live into all that God has called us to be and to do. When we have not done what he's called us to do and done what he hasn't invited us to do. We struggle and we strain. Some conversations even this week that I had with folks, I had to admit that still the church doesn't have the impact that most of us would hope for. It's a, it's a hospital for the sinners, <laughs> not a hotel for the saints. That's who we are. We're a, we're a broken people. We're a dry people. And the initial question that came to Ezekiel really comes to us again. Can these bones live again? Do we have a future? Not only do you have a future, but do we have a future? Does, do the people of God, can a community that is experiencing this kind of existence prosper in its home again? God tells Ezekiel, preach. It says, go to the people and preach. What an audience. It's not people, it's dry bones. Go to the valley and preach. And although God is addressing Ezekiel, he's actually speaking to the bones himself, promising to bring breath into them and clothe them with flesh. God says, God says these bones will live again. God makes possible new life by his spirit once again. And he says, and then you will know that I am the Lord. And so Ezekiel preaches. I still wait for this to happen every once in a while when I'm up here. But Ezekiel preaches and the bones start to clatter and clamor and they start to come back together. And he hears the bones before he sees them. And they, they're making just a, just a orchestral sound across that, that valley as they come back together. And then with his own eyes, he begins to see the... The, the, the sinews and the flesh and the skin come onto the bones. But there's still no breath in, him, in them. So God says to Ezekiel, preach again. And Ezekiel says, you got it. Sermon number two, here it comes. Preach again. Call from the winds, the four winds, that they would come and bring life to their bodies, and we're reminded of creation. We're reminded of the words from Genesis 2, where we're told that the Lord formed the man from dust, and he breathed 
the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Here is God once again creating, recreating, and we're reminded of John chapter 20, where the resurrected Lord Jesus has come back to be with his disciples in this moment, and he said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, and we're told that he breathed on them. And the Holy Spirit filled them. And we're reminded of Acts chapter 2 that we heard sung about and read about and saw pictures depicting where, the, where, where we read that the, that, the, that the wind blew like a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. To this hopelessness, to our hopelessness, Ezekiel offers a startlingly simple metaphor for divine presence, the breath of God. Ezekiel wants to say, God's breath is in you. God's wind is moving. In fact, in just 14 verses that we read, the word ruach in Hebrew, breath or wind, it appears nine times in 14 verses. You think there's a theme. It's clear what is trying to be communicated here. That amidst this despair, amidst this, this, this death, there's presence. There's the very presence of God. The wind and the breath of God. Despite their reality of being cut off from their homeland, their fear of being cut off from God, God is as near to them as their own breath. And perhaps Ezekiel's vision doesn't do a whole lot to alleviate their present circumstance, but it does give them a future. It begins to bring life. So though they remain in exile, still coping with all the loss that they've experienced, they're reassured of God's presence. And this is what we need to hear on Pentecost Sunday, 19, 19, 2018. It just took us back a century. 2018. I actually kind of look back at my sermons from you know, especially on these types of days to make sure I don't preach exactly the same thing that I did last year on Pentecost. It's just look, interesting to look back years. And every, every year, it's the same, but it's different. And every year, as we come to a day like this, and we've talked about it a little bit this week, there's the temptation among us, perhaps, to say, happy birthday, church. It's the birthday of the Christian church, the day when the Spirit was poured out. Happy birthday, and we just celebrate, and we throw a party, and we have cake, maybe, or not, and we light the candles, and we see the red, and we say, happy birthday. But, but... So much more is to be garnered from this day than just a birthday celebration. Today's the day when, again, we're reminded 
of the Lord's promise to bring renewal to all things. Where, where, we're, where we're challenged to come face to face with the realization that God longs to move into the places that are dead and dry and to bring life and breath. We're invited to do so much more than celebrate a birthday. We're invited to live into the reality of it. To live into the reality of God's presence that is surrounding us even now. His presence that is as near to us as our own breath, which perhaps is his own breath. And until we hear the the rattling of these dry bones in our own valleys, any celebration is premature. Any sense that we can be and do anything of consequence for the world that aches all around us is misguided. We're a church that dwells in the valley of dry bones. Our first step is to recognize it, to own up to it, and then to believe that, in fact, it we, we cannot answer with any hesitation when we're asked if, if new life can come from these bones, but instead we can answer with great certainty, yes, yes, it can. And it can happen even today. Where is this happening in our lives? I mentioned it to these who are coming to be baptized today. When they stand here, they're a reminder to all of us that the that the breath of God is still blowing. They're a reminder to, to all of us that the winds of the Holy Spirit are still moving in the world. When we send, I think it's like 30, 25 kids off to elevate next Sunday or next Friday for a weekend of retreat and trusting that they will grow and know God in new and fresh ways, we're reminded that, that the wind is still blowing. When Christians in Cuba, I can, I can say this with confidence today, when, when Christians in Cuba today gather to proclaim the goodness and faithfulness of God, even in a, a season of great loss, when believers in Texas gather today to proclaim the comforting presence of God, even in the midst of great tragedy, there we're reminded that the winds of the Spirit, the breath of God, is still blowing, is still moving. When, when husbands and wives decide to reconcile, when parents and children move past old brokenness into new life, When neighbors decide to let Jesus be Lord, where a congregation cultivates the presence of the Spirit by opening ourselves more and more to His presence through our prayer and through our study of the Word and through our fellowship together, where these things are happening, the breath of God is, is breathing. These bones, these bones, can they live again? So on this 
Pentecost, I just wonder this. I wonder what in your community, what in our congregation, what in your home, what in your own heart has perhaps seemed as dead as the dry bones? What comes to mind in your own sphere? And I wonder how open you are this morning, how open we are as a people to the breath of God that would want to bring new life into those places, and how willing we are to create space, really, for the Spirit to do something in us that we could never do on our own. And I wonder, how is it that we begin to live as those who believe this is possible? How do we begin to move these bones or let the Spirit move these bones maybe that haven't moved maybe even for a long, long time? And just where are they called to move and how are they called to move? How might we live into it? The reminder of Ezekiel's vision is that the Spirit is on the move. And the old, the old wineskins, as Jesus would talk about, the old structures, perhaps, that we have known so well, structures in community, in church, structures in our own individual lives that have perhaps been of our own making, <laughs> that have seemingly held the Spirit in a way that works for us, at least to this point, the story reminds us that those wineskins, those structures are out of date, and new space is needed within each of us and within our community for the Spirit to move and the Spirit to have His way.